Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, Ali. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've just come off a, a three days on call for obstetrics and gynecology, so saved a few lives and uh, brought a few babies into the world uh, with, with lots of help. Nice. Um, and then he went to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jake, what a... <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, our special guest uh, for this week's episode, and that is Jake. Jake, would you like to introduce yourself to the to the audience now that you've you've chimed in already? Hello there, I'm Jake, uh, also an F2 doctor. Don't save quite as many lives as Ali on my day job, but we can always try, can't we? Awesome. So a couple of bits of housekeeping before we dive into the episode. Uh, Not Overthinking now has a YouTube account where we will post updates. We? we have yes. a YouTube account, no way. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I meant Twitter account. <laughs> we, now have, we now have a Twitter we have account. A YouTube account. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that at some point anyway twitter account at n overthinking so nova thinking it was the best thing that was available um follow us on there uh, to get updates when we release episodes if episodes are going to be delayed if we're going to take a break all that stuff will be posted on the twitter account uh so give us a follow at n overthinking uh on twitter yeah also if you've got comments and feedback and stuff about the podcast it's infinitely easier for us to reply to tweets than it is to reply to emails so please send in your messages and stuff via twitter if possible if it's like a really long message and you're happy to share it then you can just like write it out in your notes app and then kind of screenshot it and then post it on twitter as an image as like a reply to us uh, that'll be that'll be pretty ideal but yeah definitely follow us on n overthinking awesome and i before we get into the actual topic of the episode i uh, i had a bit of social interaction today that i wanted you did. to i wanted to analyze with the two of you so oh, today perfect. i had brunch uh with a group of people uh i thought it was going to be uh me and my co-founder and one of our friends uh but it turned out to be like seven people in total um because i think the friend invited like two uh, two of his friends friends or rather one of his friends and she invited one of her friends and then Lucas invited his girlfriend and she invited one of her friends and so there was like seven of us whoa and it sounds I, like there were more girls than guys here yeah yeah so that's what I want no that's not what I wanted to talk about um, my, what I wanted to talk about was I actually I, I was sort of thinking about the dynamic and I think there I think I've come up with a reasonable heuristic which is that I think it's less optimal when large proportions of uh, sort of the group don't know each other so I think for, for basically everyone in the group at least half of the rest of the group were complete strangers they were meeting for the first time uh, and so i think it's kind of a strange dynamic when it's like a couple of people know each other most people don't know each other at all and then you kind of have to figure out like the right conversation that's sort of appropriate given that you know one person and you don't know the five people and, and all this kind of stuff do you know what i mean have you guys have you guys been in that kind of situation so do you think that's worse than everyone equally not knowing each other at all it's probably marginally better but i, th I think like i think the best situation is when like most people know each other and then maybe a couple of people don't know one or two people because because then there's enough social fabric for someone to kind of lead the conversation and for there to be some kind of, you know, existing, whatever the word is. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, 
as usual, I don't actually have any original thoughts on this, but I have read something about this, uh, this exact phenomenon. Ah. Um, it was what some random blogger that I follow, I can't remember who it was, but he was advocating for the sort of dinner party where you have six people, uh, where one person invites two of his mates or her mates, and then each of those two invites one other person. And I think that makes six, does it? Is my math right? Yeah. No, it makes five. five. It makes five. Or <laughs> uh, some some combination there. Oh, so uh, sorry, where, where, where the host invites two people, each of those brings one person one person brings like an extra person or something like that and that creates a dynamic whereby at most everyone knows only two other people in the group and apparently that's like really good if you have like a six person dinner because then there's a lot of actually getting to know each other and digging into stuff that you wouldn't necessarily talk about amongst like close friends who very well know each other or amongst complete strangers who don't know each other at all oh that's interesting so in that case most of the group actually doesn't know each other which is kind of the scenario today yeah so like why was that dynamic weird like did you feel that mm. the conversation was more stilted than it than you would liked it to be or what uh yeah i think think so i think also yeah maybe it was affected by the fact that we, we went to we have a brunch at a place called the breakfast club and the table was extremely cramped and i think lay, yeah layout wise it wasn't very optimal um yeah i don't know maybe it could have worked to a different sort of setting um but that that's just something i was sort of thinking about sort of like the right ratios of people who know each other and people who don't and then the other thing was so basically after this brunch we all be- went back to uh someone's sort of apartment and an interesting thing happened there where it was sort of like a classic living room where there's like a sofa and there's like an armchair uh, and then there's the, the sort of TV is the focal point of the room. And I noticed that the fact that the TV was the focal point of the room kind of meant that by default, someone turned on the TV and started browsing Netflix, uh, you know, ostensibly just to like put on something funny in the background or something. But then it kind of just turned into everyone watching an episode on Netflix at like two in the afternoon. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how everyone else felt about this, but I mean, I, I personally wasn't super into it. Uh, and at one point I was like, wait, so what are we doing? Are we actually just going to sit here and, and watch episode one? of skins um and i i think it was one of those situations where most people weren't into it but they didn't want to like i don't know be a naysayer or something so no one really said anything and we we watched one episode of skins <laughs> so, you, so you sat through a whole episode of skin just because no one was brave enough to be like look guys i don't think anyone really wanted to play monopoly here look i threw my hat in the ring i mean look skins was fine it was good um but i think i think the tv being the focal point of the room actually i think room layout is something i've been thinking about recently um because i i, I definitely know other kind of scenarios where um, you know we're hanging out with a group of people, and the room layout is such that it's it's much less conducive for like just sitting around and chatting. Whereas Ali, for example, when we've been on like a couple of these low social optionality holidays with your friends, and we kind of rent some cottage uh, in some you know national park somewhere, the living room layout is basically a bunch of sofas all facing each other, and the TV is never really a prominent aspect. And so I think that's just like much more conducive to socializing. Yeah, I agree. Or, or like if 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 it's a it's it's a layout whereby the the focus point is a fireplace i yeah. think that truly leads to the ultimate mm. form of social interaction yeah, yeah like yeah. on all our um on all, on all the trips that we used to do with the wilderness medicine society like inevitably there would be a fireplace in the cottage and it would just create such a nice vibe everyone's sitting around the fire you know a hug to the older caveman days sorry you cut out for a second there but i assume that what you said was interesting oh, <laughs> wonderful Ali connecting with the masses saying he feels much more at home with a nice hearth and fireplace <laughs> the, the television <laughs> Showing how in touch she is. <laughs> right. Anyway, sp- speaking of being in touch with the masses, um, <laughs> the topic that we th- <laughs> the topic that we thought we'd do today is um, given that we have you on, Jake. We thought it would be interesting to explore kind of what it's like to be a lad and what it's like to kind of be cool traditionally defined cool. as. How do you feel about this? I feel that inviting me on means that you set a very low bar yourselves. If I'm your representative from the cool community, but. <laughs> Hey, no one said cool. We said lad. <laughs> I know, and I deliberately avoided referring to myself as that. So, well okay. picked up. 
So, Tamor, how how would you define kind of lad for the uh, the non UK listeners amongst amongst our audience? I guess my kind of uh, my sort of heuristic for lad is in general someone who is quite into drinking, like. <laughs> Okay. Quite quite into drinking, which uh, seems to correlate with uh, some level of sportiness. And I guess kind of boisterousness as well. Ooh, what do you mean by boisterous? Uh, I, you know, I guess like uh, this, if I imagined a group of lads in my head, <laughs> A, they'd all be drunk. <laughs> B, they'd all be topless. <laughs> no, that's uh, the joke. Uh, no, they've, nice I, they've been insight into what goes on in your head, Tamer, but... <laughs> They'd be drunk and they'd be kind of loud in uh, some kind of uh, you know, setting, like a, a pub or a club or a, yeah, whatever. <laughs> a pub or club or whatever. <laughs> okay. So yeah. boisterous, sporty and yeah, but enjoying bo- a drink can all yeah. be females as well. As in, Do you think there's a female equivalent then? Or in your mind, is it only really males that can be laddish in that? I'm, I'm sure there is a female analogue, but I do think it is a... I think what we're, what we're talking about here is is a masculine phenomenon. Like Perhaps next week, if we, if we have Molly on the podcast... We can talk about the female the female analog of it i mean is that do, do you think that's a reasonable description of lad both of you reasonably um i'd say so or it's at least what people aspire to be like if they're trying to be lads as in some people inherently probably don't actually enjoy going around topless <laughs> infiltrating your mind tamer but feel the pressure to do so in order to to fit that sort of, of image so certainly i think that captures many of the elements of it so one thing that I've often been curious about, about the about kind of being a lad, is that to what extent do you uh, sort of, uh, as Jake, as, as someone who is boisterous, enjoys a drink and pretty sporty, <laughs> to what extent do you Guilty. like recognize those qualities within the group of people that, or like within the group of lads that you hang out with? And like, to what extent do you think that that is the group dynamic that's going on, if, if that makes sense? Have you seen How I Met Your Mother? You know, the cheerleader effect, which is an idea that sort of any individual cheerleader may not be that attractive, but as a collective, you sort of like hold them up on this pedestal and everyone thinks cheerleaders are attractive, oh. whereby the sum of their individual parts is greater than, you know, each one okay. on their own. I feel like if you looked certainly on Cambridge swaps, some like some of the individuals there are sort of like properly intense mathematicians who spend <laughs> all their time there not on swaps, kind of absolutely smashing out statistics. And if you actually look at the people that compose these groups they don't stand up to much scrutiny as sort of conventional lads but then when you you describe what could you describe what a swap is for uh the uninitiated um so essentially it's a a group of males group of females traditionally although it can these days be be any any combination of genders um (laughs) but traditionally it's particularly from one college to another college or one sports team to another sports team go for a meal where food is largely collateral um and it's it's all about the beer (laughs) to, to borrow a phrase but uh Okay, so for example, the uh, the men's football team from Emmanuel College might go drinking with the ladies' hockey's team from Magdalen College, for example. They might do. Okay, <laughs> they might do that. And I think you know, as a, as a collective, many of the men in that group might try and sort of live up to a certain image and and all behave in that way that you're talking about sort of boisterous and drinking but fundamentally certainly at Cambridge it was quite funny when you actually then looked at who these individuals were and they're sort of you know people who are about to take a kind of really dull high-flying solicitor job in the city or something like that or people who are fundamentally really sort of bookish and academic I think people found a great sort of sense of purpose being on these swaps at times (laughs) (laughs) even people like you Ali would have been felt included and and laddish but yeah I'm sure I'd have been sort of significantly more boisterous um, had I ever been invited to one of these swaps. But hey. 
it's not that i'm bitter i've totally gotten over it so jake where would you i mean look uh, we're throwing around the word lad it's like it's like 10 percent tongue-in-cheek i would say and we're sort of labeling you as a lad uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek and like i'm sure you would disagree with the label yeah you you wouldn't entirely you know, <laughs> want that label put on you but like where would you say you are on the on the lad spectrum like from like least from like ali to <laughs> <laughs> ali being most laddish obviously <laughs> i mean i'm curious i want to know who you, that you pick as the benchmark for the other end of the spectrum <laughs> without slandering somebody so go on entertain me i'm trying to think of a celeb who from ali up to um yeah to us i don't really know but like yeah where would you put yourself on like the lad spectrum like ben stokes or something you pro- do you know who that is no i think he's a footballer is he a footballer okay well wonderful wait is, oh <laughs> no he, he plays cricket excellent ben <laughs> cricketer. is he the one who did that like amazing like dive for the wicket that got him like six runs off for, like two runs in the world cup or whatever that tournament was cricketers aren't close bad. enough i'm happy to let you keep talking for the amusement of your audience um proof that expertise in some areas really doesn't always translate to good general knowledge does it Alan? but yes ben stokes for whatever reason on a scale of ali to ben stokes i i'm probably decreasing in my laddishness with time yeah because i think it's quite a young thing essentially yeah um, certainly if you look at people in their first year at university versus the ones that did six years at university i think most sort of laddish tendencies decreased with time because it's a bit sort of exhausting and unsustainable after a while but so it sounds kind of like the political spectrum you know in the first year everyone is like hardcore leftist and then <laughs> over time as they get older and start paying more tax People veer towards the centre, possibly even to the right, depending on uh, which tax bracket they're in. Also, I've heard. So you've heard, true. Really. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know what you, where you stand, thanks to you uploading a photo of your ballot paper on election day no, before when, taking when, it down. We're not allowed to mention that. It's, it's, <laughs> apparently, it's, it's technically illegal in the UK to upload a photo of your ballot paper uh, on polling day, which I did. But So thank you, Molly, for uh, messaging me immediately, being like, what the hell is wrong with you? Please take that photo down. <laughs> right, so uh, Jake, that, Jake, in second year, where would you put yourself? From, from like zero to ten, where zero is Ali and ten is... Second year was probably my Annus Mirabilis of laddishness, to be whoa, fair. Whoa, so. whoa, whoa, your your what? Sorry? <laughs> it's my, Jake it's studied Latin at school. He went to one of those schools, Table. Uh. Which are well represented on swaps, actually, incidentally. <laughs> 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 no, no. Um, so Cetra's Parabus, yeah, second year. Second year, probably call it a seven out of ten or something, if I'm okay. currently at about a three. And Ali is just about troubling. Wait, so you think one. you're currently at a three out of ten? I'd hope not to be much higher than that. Oh, yeah, no, I suppose I suppose you still enjoy drinking, but you're not too boisterous about it. No. Also, I've heard. <laughs> no, I tend not to have the wherewithal <laughs> to be boisterous after. But no, I, I'm not too bad. I would and, like. And were you kind, were you kind of on, on high up the lad spectrum in in secondary school as well like no 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 oh interesting right so uh, how much of a lad were you in secondary school relative to university uh if i was seven at university one to two at school perhaps but in school you were also you know sporty i imagine yeah and i imagine you enjoyed drinking once the drinking became a thing uh or not really yeah it was really it wasn't massive like within school itself certainly at my school oh um and then there's the sort of negative multiplier of of academic (laughs) (laughs) competence that sort of dampens down uh, all laddishness but then when you come to Cambridge obviously that's a level playing field and it sort of no longer adversely affects your lad points so to speak so I suppose the more A stars you have at GCSE the the fewer lad points you you end up with I suppose it's not conventionally cool or or a a feature of a lad to sort of absolutely smash it (laughs) (laughs) okay so in in school would you was, was the case that you wanted to be more part 
part of the lad group it was just that you were too academic to be accepted by them <laughs> uh not particularly i just i think i correctly identified it was never going to be sort of my thing but then obviously when you you come to university it can no longer be your thing to be like the academic one when you're surrounded by academic people so i imagine that somewhere like oxbridge a lot of people would embrace the sort of lad idea because that's a new role for them in in their group whereas they were previously the clever one if you take 100 people who used to be the clever one and and then basically say only one of you can now still be the clever <laughs> one people have to adapt and find other other roles if you want to be probably too analytical and, and overthink it to borrow a phrase but. so uh, for so for example at at university then to what extent was this lad thing like part of your identity um, I, it's difficult to say. Um, I wouldn't think it was too much, but then perhaps other people would look and perceive that it was part of my or someone else's identity. So it wasn't something that I ever strived to, to like incorporate into who I was. But, you know, when you're in these societies or when you're in these groups, people on the outside would look and be like, well, that's clearly something that yeah. is important to you or something you want to do. So, so did, did you did you sort of fall into it? Or was it like, you're, you know, you arrive at university, as you said, like there's only one clever one. And then it's like, okay, who do I like make friends with who seems like I might be able to relate to them? And you kind of gravitated towards those people or, or like, you know, six months in, did you just look around and suddenly you're surrounded by these <laughs> topless guys drinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six months in, I looked around and was surrounded by topless men. You've summed up my university experience to a T. Um, actually, so I've actually got a story from like our first day of, of university or like second day or something. Um, we all, uh, uh, the whole college like went punting, like all the first years uh, went punting and you and I were on the same punt, I think, or I was on an adjacent one. Did I fall in? And you fell in but you're but like once you got out and back into the boat you had taken off your hoodie and your t-shirt and you were fully topless and everyone was admiring your abs because you had some level of abs at that point and, and wow what a backhander <laughs> at that point <laughs> i haven't seen your abs in a while actually it's been a few days um Lord, anyway so then i i distinctly remember when we got off the punt because i think i had in my head that oh jake's really cool because he's got abs <laughs> But then as we got out of the punt, there was some some random guy who, who I think was one of the kind of punt coordinator type people, like, you know, wearing the uh, he was like wearing an outfit trying to sell sell punt tours to unsuspecting tourists. Um, but he he made like a throwaway comment to you saying something like he, he said something like, mate, it's OK to put that shirt back. Uh, it's, it's OK to put that shirt back on now. And I just remember thinking that, oh, that's interesting, because in my head, like the fact that you had abs and you were topless was like a pure positive, like 100 percent value thing. Whereas for this guy, it was like he his image of it might have been that you were, you were trying to show off by being topless. I think this, this event <laughs> has probably put more of an indelible impression on you than it has on me. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I know that I was probably, it's probably a statistical significance to the amount of times I was the torso model in anatomy <laughs> first year compared to just chance alone. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, move, moving away from toplessness. Um, yeah, so what, what did you, did you sort of naturally gravitate towards the lad group or did it just kind of happen? Like, was it intentional on your part? I wouldn't say it was intentional. I think, again, it certainly at our university there was a bit of a dichotomy between people that were sort of actually going to go out at all um and people that that would just wasn't their thing okay and by go out you mean go go clubbing out out, <laughs> out, out, out. so go, go to out, a nightclub and drink yeah so yeah or I, rather drink and then go to a nightclub i think uh, when there's sort of a hundred or so people per year and you take away sort of half of that who may not be interested in that for whatever reason and then you sort of start narrowing down to a, a, gr a group of people and you, you end up not actually having that many left like overall so the the group of people that sort of went out out 
you know, drank before, went to clubs, whatever, was probably small enough that they could all be reasonably my friends, for example. But Oh, okay. And I suppose when that group is small enough, then the fact that you're all going out out means you have this very shared experience that then becomes a source of conversation over like lunch the following day that, oh, you know, <laughs> last sense. night when old Johnny went out, God, he was he was absolutely wrecked, wasn't he? You know, <laughs> and that that kind of level of chat. But I, I, I suppose it becomes a shared experience that binds you together. Yeah, it? yeah, it does. In, in the same way that I have friends who didn't go out where your shared experience is your subject or, you know, which part of the college you live in or sports team or whatever. But that was another way in which people shared experience was going out out. <laughs> oh, so, so like in second year for me, like my main shared experience that I had with the people in college was that a group of us, about 15 people, used to get together and play Yu-Gi-Oh a fair bit. And so that was our shared experience. Like a lot of the stories told over lunch and dinner would be related to stuff that happened while people were playing Yu-Gi-Oh. So this is exactly the sort of person I was talking about. I was saying some people automatically drift away from you and, <laughs> and the pool of eligible people shrinks down to quite a small number. Um, yeah, so for the non-Yu-Gi-Oh players, there was yeah, a fair few people who did go out ultimately. But So so the uh, <clears throat> at least in, in some sense, or like at least one group of people who others might have seen as lads, they just all had a natural inclination to wanting to go clubbing and wanting to get drunk. Is that kind of it? Potentially, but also it might have been that there was a pressure to do so because objectively, Freshers Week is an absolutely ghastly clubbing experience as in every single person there are four or five clubs in Cambridge there are about 20,000 students at the university of whom all the first year ones sort of you have this big FOMO like if I don't go out this week I will not make friends for the next three years and so everybody even if you're feeling a bit rough or you just kind of weren't up for it and it was freezing cold everyone would go out so it might not be that it was a group of people who all really wanted to it was a group of people who felt compelled to <laughs> um, that ended up you know sort of bonding with each other over those first few weeks and then once you're a bit more secure in your friendships you're like no objectively that looks awful let's not go out tonight but i don't fear that i won't have any friends this time tomorrow if i don't so <laughs> i think there is some of that whereas yeah, I, you clearly had the admirable level of security that you didn't you know you were quite happy not to even entertain going out and had confidence that you would be fine socially which is is good and that's much more like what i would be like now at 26 but it's quite unusual or at least admirable at 18 to just kind of think this isn't my thing this is objectively a bit <laughs> unpleasant i'm just gonna boycott it oh i don't know so i had a big like I, I, as you know as i think everyone does a huge insecurity about you know i'm really worried i'm not going to make any friends and so a big part of me was thinking that oh I have to I have to go to these things and all, all these events and stuff but I thought our college did a really good job of it in that almost every evening there was an alternative freshers week event going on um whether it was like a movie night in the common room or or whatever and getting involved in societies like you know Pakistan society and the Islamic society meant that there was always kind of stuff going on so I had a, like a, a huge part of me was like oh you know thank god I've got something to go to yeah. and I'm not sitting in my room on my own and I think Cambridge is good for that because the the numbers are manageable like I often think if you you sort of go to somewhere like UCL and you're in a massive city of millions of people you kind of are put in accommodation there's about 10 people in your block or whatever and you think well like god i better get on with them because how else am i going to go about finding friends and if they all start going out you're like well i better go out as well whereas i think it is really good at somewhere like cambridge there's so many different small but manageable sized societies and things you can join that mean you don't have to sort of latch on to the very first people you meet and think i've got to share all their interests in order to have any friends but yeah yeah i, I can certainly empathize with uh with what you described jake i think in i, I remember in freshers week uh, I think there were like two nights where all the first years from the college were going clubbing. And I was like, wow, this is really not my thing. But be because of the FOMO, I was like, okay, better go along. And it was, yeah, just terrible.
for. And after those two uh, nights, I kind of concluded, yeah, I'm definitely not doing this again. <laughs> so uh, one other thing that I've been, I've been curious about is what's the experience of kind of clubbing with the lads out kind of thing like? Like, how would you describe it? Gosh, in what sense? Like, so the two or three times that I've been to a club, it's been very loud, very hot, very sweaty. Yes. I've un- I've I've maybe known about what 20% of the songs are. Therefore, it's kind of fun to sort of ve- attempt to dance along with them while singing along to the songs. But for me, it was always more that I can sing along with the song than the fact that I could dance to it. Uh, and it would it was always sort of we'd form a circle of like four or five people that I kind of went with. And we'd all just end up kind of like shouting the lyrics to the song at one another. And if it would be a song I didn't recognize, I'd kind of sort of be moving my hips in some uh, in some semblance to the beat um, and watching other people shout the lyrics of songs that I didn't yeah. know, like Mr. Brightside and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brightside. It's a staple of my time at university. But I don't know. I think it's um, it's quite an interesting split between people who are single and people who aren't because a lot of the things you've described are sort of objectively quite negative words like hot, sweaty, loud. Like these are things that you don't attribute to a pleasant social experience normally. Okay. Um, so it makes you wonder why people actually put up with it. And I, a lot of people who were sort of in relationships and had no interest of sort of going out to meet people in that way would look at these nights and just think oh gosh this is absolutely dreadful and to a certain extent I'd be more that way inclined now about sort of going clubbing whereas I think going out with guys if, if, if a lot of you were single there was always that sort of element to it which which made the rest of it like so in some way worthwhile so is that like was that a big part of the decision to go clubbing then too so maybe kind of hook up with someone like, I think to a certain extent oh. for some people okay but not everyone because most most people I've spoken to about this like specifically like more girls than guys say that oh I, I enjoy clubbing because I like the music or because I just like dancing and mm-hmm. I've always felt a bit skeptical of that particular line of line of logic I think so some people do and you can tell those people because then when they're still in pretty stable relationships they still are agitating to go out mm. um i never particularly for all the kind of negative words you use to describe clubbing i shared those views and you know it, it starts making you sound a bit kind of weird and creepy if you're like oh you know i only did it for for those reasons yeah but i think it, if you're sort of you know as you get older or if you're not single then certainly some of the negatives started outweighing outweighing the positives but no you're right a lot of people some people do have that thing that you're skeptical of where they actually like it for what it is and you know i'm not a dancer i'm not a good dancer (laughs) some people are and they might enjoy dancing more so yeah some people probably go into it with with other intentions and and still enjoy it for what it is okay and so do you think that tame and i given that um we don't drink and don't go clubbing and didn't do that at university uh i think tame is that right yeah i went clubbing three times in total nice and i think that's the the, the same as me do you think like what aspects of the university experience do you think like we missed out on um i think some of the funniest experiences were from the ridiculous behaviour that, you know, resulted from the fact that people had, had gone out and, and particularly had been drinking. But thinking back on it, a lot of that was actually in the stuff before, like the, the pre-drinks or things like that. Okay. I always used to far prefer pre-drinks to actually going out. As in, because in pre-drinks, you're sat with all your friends and no other people. You've got a seat. You've got <laughs> like your own drink that you're not sort of paying ridiculous prices for in a club. Like you can actually hear each other speak. 
I always used to like that far more and was always sort of actually a bit disappointed when we ended up going out and would always sort of agitate to, to leave pre-drinks as late as possible and minimise the time spent in an actual club. So yeah, for all those reasons, I kind of sympathise with your position and think you didn't really miss out much um, clubbing wise. However, if you thought because I'm not going clubbing, I wouldn't feel comfortable or wouldn't think it was right for me to go to pre-drinks and therefore missed out on all of that sort of social gathering for a few hours before, then I'd say, yeah, that is, I would have con- considered that I'd be missing out. But certainly in clubbing itself, you've <laughs> played it well. I don't think you missed <laughs> out on too much. Unless you like hearing the circle of life sung by a load of people in blazers at two in the morning. But <laughs> I mean, that's quite fun. But it sounds like what you're saying is sort of seem, seems to be the theme of this podcast that actually really, it's all just about social interaction and about uh, trying to connect with your fellow man uh, or woman uh, or um, combination thereof. Yeah, I mean, I only speak for myself. Some people I know actually enjoy clubbing and are older than I am currently. You know, they might be married or whatever and somehow still (laughs) enjoy going to clubs. And I know a few people like that and I'm not one of them, but, you know, I don't speak for them with with what I've said about my experiences. Cool. So moving away from the sort of club setting, I think one of the interesting things uh, about sort of groups of people and, and kind of groups of people that are labeled so either internally or externally is is that like the, the group kind of changes the behaviors of the individuals. And so when you're sort of hanging out with a group of lads, in what, in what ways do you think you'd kind of behave differently than if you were sort of not hanging out in a, with a group of lads? Well, you know i wouldn't say drink a concoction of mouthwash shaving foam and chili powder if i weren't in a group or something like that you you do have the the peer pressure side to it but you know i don't think that's a revolutionary idea i've brought to the table there that people play up to each other and and do stupid things um so is is there some is is, is there some expectation to kind of do stupid things when you're in that kind of group like what 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 results in these chili powder incidents what results in them um drinking games uh but ultimately yes the expectation i think everybody sort of finds it a bit more fun if there's something stupid going on and therefore it would you wouldn't be fitting in if you didn't play your part in that and just expected everybody else to to provide cheap mindless entertainment so i think there is some expectation and obviously in that group you you do things that you wouldn't just do probably sat in your room on your own but um yeah you never felt compelled to do any of those things in your in your social groups no but then like in my social groups it was like the compulsion would be to have a hot take you know some like a uh, new profound insight about like you know muslim marriage or something like that you know <laughs> that would be the thing that everyone would sort of egg each other on about and then he's, he's, uh, it, it would become almost an implicit competition of who can air the most controversial view views without like upsetting the majority of people in the group you know think, i think there's like a, a comparison with with some of the swaps you know who can say the sort of most outrageous fine or who has done the sort of most outrageous thing without obviously just being like illegal or kind of you know just completely outrageous so there's perhaps a a similarity but also definitely not who has the most hot take on on the hadiths or something i don't know that was never a big never a big feature the other aspect of of kind of lad culture and in inverted commas like you know said to 10 percent tongue-in-cheek that i've been curious about is that there's this trope that like especially in like uh high school situations where like the lads are the cool people and like then there's the nerds who aspire to be cool like the lads um given that you were not allowed at school and you were allowed at university kind of by <laughs> most traditional definitions Fine. do you have any comments on sort of the wanting to be cool like those guys kind of vibe i, d- I think it depends like at our college um 
I don't think there was ever any sort of exclusivity about it, really, as in, I don't think we ever would have said X, Y, Z cannot sit with us, you know, <laughs> cannot go on a swap if they want to. Other colleges would have had that. And then obviously sports team based ones, there is an inherent level of selection to that. But, you know, in some of the, I did some of the tennis ones and within our team, there were good tennis players who were like mature students, had kids, you know, were in their 30s, but were good at tennis. And obviously there was no judgment that they weren't going out <laughs> with a load of 19 year olds and, and like drinking gravy off each other's chests or something. <laughs> so I think certainly in all the both the main sort of um, ways in which I experienced these things with either through college society or or through through sport and tennis. And there was never really any judgment of people who didn't want to get involved in these things. Um, and I'm pretty sure that there wasn't much of a exclusivity, like an us and them sort of feel to it. But, you know, it's easy to say that when you are one of the people, perhaps... I'm naive and there were people on the outside who thought in some way that they weren't were being excluded. I don't know. And I wouldn't know necessarily. Yeah, potentially. I think it's one of those cases where the people in the group like think that their group is all like inclusive and stuff and don't but and just like don't really pay any attention at all to the to the outsiders of the group. Yeah. Um sort of like I think it's sort of like there's there's all this stuff in um about like specifically in tech which I'm vaguely familiar with when it comes to sort of inviting speakers for conferences. And if you don't think about it, like inevitably the speakers that you invite to your conferences like end up being 95% male. And then yeah, you yeah. kind of look around and you think, oh crap, hang on. Yeah. You know, without thinking about it, we've just created this sort of, this kind of group. And then the impression I get from tech Twitter is that women feel excluded, even though there's no explicit exclu ex exclusion going on. Whereas yeah. sort of, I, I suspect it's similar in sort of the kind of quote lad culture vibe or the kind of lad group dynamic whereby the lads are kind of self-selecting themselves just based on who enjoys drinking and like think that actually, you know, anyone can just join in and have fun but for the people outside of that group it's a feeling of oh it's sort of there's us on this side and then there's them and i think in a way like at least this was definitely the case for me and and a few other people kind of who were non-lads that i spoke to i think there was some level of jealousy that you that you lads had such a seemingly strong group and like yeah. strong group dynamics whereas i think there was an element of other people wanting that sort of thing for themselves but not necessarily to join the group yeah i think it's it's true that a lot of social things certainly within our university were within the context of drinking and I can see how if that wasn't your thing there were things that you just un unwittingly would have been excluded from not sort of by any explicit rule but just because why on earth would you want to do that and therefore you know you would have for example with tennis there a lot of the social things were drinking based so if you were someone who didn't drink but wanted to socialize with your teammates some of the uh, like the average social thing would have been quite unappealing to you and there weren't necessarily loads of you know let's go bowling or let's do whatever you know yeah. like some kind of non-drinking based activity so i guess there could be a an accidental level of exclusion of people like that but yeah and and like you say i think in every industry people select people who look and sound and are like themselves so i would imagine even within somewhere like cambridge that the the demographics and diversity of these societies was was <laughs> like more homogeneous than than even cambridge already is but i have no data to support that i just would imagine that white males privately educated are probably even more represented in these things than they are in cambridge as a whole but yeah who knows yeah and i suppose that's also a similar reason as to why when you 
get a kind of large heterogeneous group of people together, the Chinese people will inevitably hang out with each other. The Asian people will inevitably find a way to hang out with each other. And like occasionally you'll get the odd kind of like Asian person or Chinese person within the lad group, but it, it's, it would be more unusual. You would expect to just see that kind of segregation in a very, very non-explicit way, but purely based on the fact that just by default, you have this thing in common. Yeah. Does, it, does that, so back in, back when you were sort of, uh, you know, a seven out of 10, uh, where, <laughs> we've already, Ali's already told me I've lost my abs. So I don't know what I am now. But. Mate, I, I saw Jake's abs like two weeks ago and they were pretty on point. Like it really inspired me to like go to the gym a bit more. And then I went for about two more sessions and I haven't been for, for the last week. Nice. Uh, I'm very happy for the, Sorry for the to two of you. Uh, that's fine. So yeah, back, back when you were sort of at peak lad, would you say that like, you know, if, if you walked into a group of, uh, you know, a, a room of people, would you look at the people that outwardly seem laddish and would you kind of think, oh, that's my tribe. Like those, those are the people who are like me and I, I'm, I'm sort of drawn to sort of be friends with them. I mean, maybe subconsciously. I don't think, I'd like to think I never w- would have walked into a room and be like, I don't think to this day I, I would walk into a room and say, these are instantly the people I think from the outside I will get on with. But I guess we all do that to a certain extent, don't Wait, we? Wait, so, you, so you're saying you don't do that? Or you're saying it's, it's subconscious, like you, you're not really aware? Well, I, I, I don't think I consciously go and think I'm going to make a snap some like superficial judgment on the people I think I will like in here but you know that's what humans do right and I imagine as you were saying your Asians all found a way to hang out with each other that initially is quite a superficial connection you look at someone and think I'm going to hang out with them (laughs) yeah so I guess we all do it to a certain extent and therefore it's not inconceivable that I would have done that but okay never deliberately I don't think okay so for example if I were to go if if I were to walk into a to to a party and there were let's there's two there's, there's two three seater sofas right yes and each of those are occupied by two people yes one of them has sort of white rugby playing looking people on it yeah. and the other has sort of weedy asians with glasses kind of similar to myself <laughs> on it. i would i would immediately go for the rugby <laughs> no you know it's pretty obvious which group i would gravitate towards yeah and i suppose when you phrase it as like yeah. comically polarized as that then yeah. i would go to the other one oh. <laughs> but but you want not necessarily not like, for any good reason yeah. and I might end up moving <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah I see what you're saying I guess there's a lot of like going for like yeah. in these societies okay so if, if both of if both of you weren't doing the same subject at the same college so you guys both the same year doing medicine at Manual College if one of you was doing a different subject for example if uh, I don't know Ali if you were doing maths or something do you think you guys would have ended up becoming friends oh god no 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 why, absolutely why, why is that so Ali why don't you think you, you would have uh, ended up becoming friends with Jake I think the way we became friends was the way that like a lot of people become friends at university that you start by hanging out a lot and then you become friends yeah sure and the hanging out a lot happens by virtue of the fact that we're both medics okay and in the absence of that both being medics connection there w- there would be literally no other reason why Jake and I would hang out we were we were on the same badminton team for like a period of like a few months we sort of seeing each other once a week if that for the occasional badminton game but that's not the frequency of contact that you need to be friends I think had we kind of lived next door to one another then that would have been a default way to hang out and yeah. we've got a, a fair bit in common apart from the lad uh, <laughs> lad points and so I suspect we would have become friends in that sense yeah and I think you know there's people you instantly gravitate to but certainly some of the people I saw the most at the start of university I'm no longer friends with at all just based on a lack of you know mutual interests and stuff so I think but it, it's quite unlikely that Ali and I would have come into contact enough um, through our non-medical shared interests. Yeah, um, yeah. I would not have been at the Yu-Gi-Oh sessions. He would not have been uh, at the, you know, sniffing Tabasco sessions or whatever it was. So, <laughs> so we wouldn't have. Sounds I'm, a lot like Paxoc. 
Uh, okay, so you've both given a very like safe answers of like, oh, it's it's just circumstance, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I've definitely openly said on the podcast before that uh, you know there've been there've been situations where I have uh, you know <laughs> been face to face with a lad, and my initial reaction is uh, that we're not going to be friends, and then you know we end up spending some time together and we do become friends. Yeah, in like the sure, social optionality situation where you have yeah yeah yeah, yeah sure, but do, do you? I mean, surely for both of you there is some aspect of like Ali even if you were hanging out with Jake for a bit at the start before you've had a chance to probably know him there must be something in your head of like oh this guy's not like me we're not in, we're not in the same tribe and, and likewise for you Jake surely you see Ali there with his Pokemon cards with his glasses you know cards god damn it <laughs> sorry with his cards. there must be some element of like oh that you no know, this guy doesn't feel like he's in my tribe come on yeah as in like th- that would definitely be a thing on on initial inspection but like anyone yeah. listening to this podcast who's heard Jake speak and the way and the way he talks you know would say he's more in line with the way you and i talk than than you know one would expect by just looking at him purely stereotypically being like right he's a lad he looks sporty he's white he probably drinks a lot you know and so as soon as you have that first conversation and realize that you have stuff in common at that point it becomes less a case of you know you are stereotypically the sort of person i would gravitate towards okay jake, i don't know about what, you jake what's your side <laughs> what my side on whether i would like it's i'm being too diplomatic and i should say no i never would have been friends with that yeah, yeah i'd, I'd yeah, take like, one look at him i mean it's yeah if i hadn't been sort of exposed to you (laughs) treating you like you're some kind of environmental hazard with that phrase or something but yeah i think it's unlikely that we would have gravitated or or i would have been like that person who is playing Yu-Gi-Oh. i'm missing out if i don't go and and actively go out of my way to incorporate that person into my circle so i think it's yeah it's unrealistic if i say that that would have happened but i think that's how sort of loads of friendships and relationships are you're sort of brought together out of convenience and then you stick with one's that you actually that you actually like and the other ones are whittled away but yeah yeah sure that makes sense um so uh, on the other side of the coin to that jake do you ever feel you've been sort of uh discriminated against or kind of judged harshly purely based on your <laughs> for being a straight white male <laughs> uh yeah exactly no. hashtag not all men <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think you've been uh, sort of judged harshly purely based on your external lad lad appearance no i don't think i can ever get the tiny violins out and say that i had a really hard time because <laughs> people just look at my buys and start thinking i must be an awful person on the inside no i whether or not it goes on but i can't say it's ever particularly you know impacted on anything to the best of my knowledge that's interesting because like certainly from from my lad friends who i've talked to about these things multiple of them do actually feel that way where internally they don't see themselves as a lad at all they happen to be on the football team and are kind of drinky and so they're kind of bunched up with that group but they feel like you know everyone sort of assumes lots of things about them just because they're kind of around those people and you know um everyone sort of assumes sort of lots of uh especially the more problematic things around you know lads being misogynistic and all this kind of stuff uh when actually these individuals are not like that at all and they they feel like they've kind of been you know branded with the same brush as uh as the rest but you don't feel that way no i think i know a couple of people who sort of some of our friends who were in the rugby setup were quite keen to sort of I don't think there was ever many big problems with the rugby team or anything, but they were quite keen to sort of set themselves up as not just kind of lumps of meat and uh, <laughs> and just sort of people who were blues and that was their defining feature. I think certainly some of our friends were quite keen 
to make the point that yeah. that wasn't their that, that only wasn't defining yeah. feature. Um, I don't think, you know, enough people would have cared about <laughs> me or something to start having external judgments like that. And similarly, I'm not massively influenced by what other people think in that sense. So I wouldn't have been walking around petrified, looking over my shoulder thinking, oh, does everyone think I'm an ass because I brought a protein shake into a lecture? Probably. <laughs> but, it never, but, it ne- but it never particularly influenced my decision making and I didn't dwell on it too much. So maybe I've walked around blissfully naive of how much of an ass everyone <laughs> thinks I was for three or four years, but oh well. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so actually, uh, kind of on that note, wh- where do you think that kind of not caring what other people think comes from? Because it's it's something that we certainly get a lot of emails about people saying that, hey, I struggle with, you know, th- and I cannot the way people judge me. to be any, like, you are the absolute <laughs> gold standard of not caring when people, <laughs> some of your roast things. I don't know whether I'd care if I got such, like, personal levels of, of hatred and vitriol that you get in your comments so you're probably even better even further along the spectrum of not caring but I think I know to a certain extent you could say it comes from entitlement and sort of you know a security in where you are so you have that entitlement at the moment because you're sort of successful and have a number of good streams of revenue a couple of good jobs you're like happy with your set and you can kind of afford to be like sod it if you don't like me then crack on because plenty of people do and and I suppose you could look at people who are sort of you know white sort of you know have (laughs) every sort of division you're on the right side of it you know it's easier being male being white being this being that you could say it comes from a sense of privilege that you don't have to care about what other people think um but yeah certainly i don't think it's ever been something that's i've never been massively affected by it Hmm. and you even less so 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 are there any dimensions or aspects of the the lad experience that you think we haven't touched on that you think might be kind of interesting to an outsider uh a non-lad um i think just the the how much it's talked about these days it I think even, I mean, I was only at university for a few years, but the difference between, say, first year and by the time I was in third or fourth year with how much of an issue it was and and how much people fixated on it and were very keen to apply the label, it's one of those things, it's a bit like class, it's something that people are very keen to talk about without necessarily having a really watertight idea of what, what it is. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's I feel like today it's it's much more of an issue than it was even in like 2012 when we started um not really sure why that that would necessarily be but i think people are very wary of being it's a bit like you know everyone would be most people would be absolutely mortified to be accused of say being racist and would be it's sort of something where if you accuse someone of that then they get very defensive and very sort of concerned that you've you've made that allegation of them i think certainly today if you went up to people and were like i think you're part of lad culture yeah then then certainly more now than in previous years people would be quite concerned about that and even you know coming on a podcast oh yeah jake do you want to come on the podcast we're going to hold you up as an example of a lad and talk about that (laughs) that is more of a concerning thing i think now from a kind of you know is this acceptable uh, than it would have been a few years ago um and i guess that you know that might be a good thing um that it's not something that's unequivocally people aspire to and because there are obviously some bad aspects of it but yeah i think the way it's treated is changing 
All right. Well, I think that kind of brings to brings us to the end of, of our discussion. Then, uh, thank you for being so open with uh, sharing your internal experiences of what being a seven out of ten lad looks like. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we too, have it. We have it on, on, on your 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 good admission that you are now only a three out of ten. So you're you're not not a two lad to anymore. Three. <laughs> two to <laughs> three. Two to three. Yeah. No, this was uh, this was enlightening. Uh, thanks a lot. All right. So normally we end, end the podcast with uh, an insight of the week, as you would know if you've ever listened to the podcast, which I don't think you have. But no, <laughs> <laughs> no, it gets you negative lad points listening to that yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's trying to stay in two to three you know <laughs> all right so table what's your insight of the week yeah to be honest i think i did my insight at the start um which was maybe a mistake but yeah just something i'm thinking about is like uh yeah ratios of like uh, yeah basically the right sort of group setup in terms of who knows whom and then also the right physical layout of spaces um because yeah today for example i think everyone was really nice i think we don't yeah i definitely will be hanging out with these people again i don't think the group setup was optimal i don't think the physical uh layout was optimal um but yeah that that's been on my mind what about you uh so one thing that i've I, i'm not i'm not sure if i mentioned this in the oh that's alexa that just got activated one thing that uh, i i can't remember if i mentioned this last week but it was uh this you know perennial struggle to figure out what to do with my life um and i think it was this week possibly last week i came across a video by uh my uh, youtuber colleague unjaded jade uh which was entitled how to figure out what to do with your life or something uh and she kind of proposed this concept that she learned in university called the odyssey plan which is the idea that you ask yourself three questions firstly you kind of uh, firstly you ask yourself that in like what would my life look like in five years if i carried down the same path that i'm currently on then you ask yourself what would my life look like in five years if i took a completely different path and then you ask yourself what would my life look like in five years if money and social obligation were no longer a factor that that was you know feeding into my decision and so i wrote out like sort of what my what my normal day in the life would look like when i'm 30 and it was like you know i'm 30 years old i'm in a part-time training program in anesthetics i'm living in cambridge you know uh maybe married at that point fingers crossed inshallah (laughs) very good jake (laughs) um and like doing like physiology supervisions on the side and i kind of read that and there was a part of me that felt a little bit depressed in a way (laughs) because it just seemed so pedestrian in the sense that it seemed like this is probably it seemed like there was nothing exciting or interesting or fun about it i could very easily see the path from from a to b and it was sort of like something that we've discussed earlier about about the idea of uh, window openers versus door knockers and about there being two types of people in the world the window openers are the ones that kind of see their outcome in front of them and then they do what it takes to get there whereas the door knockers are the ones who kind of knock on the door of opportunities whereby you actually have to open the door to figure out what's on the other side like it's not that obvious mm. and I felt I was very much a window opener if I continued down this path of that that I kind of set for myself that you know the, the dream is to be a part-time doctor and part-time medical educator and so after having this crisis um, of, of purpose in a way uh, I had I came to a big realization yesterday uh oh no actually the other insight that kind of added to this was um i came across a highlight that i highlighted like 10 years ago when i was reading tim ferris's the four hour work week which was talking about how when you're at a crossroads in life and you've got different decisions to make you should ask yourself which of these is going to be the more exciting option and in a way excitement becomes a proxy for happiness or meaning or whatever and if you optimize for excitement at each junction chances are you'll have a pretty good life however you define that um and so i was hanging out with a few friends yesterday who interestingly moved to america to do to be doctors uh mostly because it would be an interesting adventure and so talking about this idea of adventure with with these guys has really uh opened my mind to the possibility that maybe moving to another country maybe even america to be a doctor would just be in like 
infinitely more exciting than staying in Cambridge and continuing down the path that I've already set for myself. Ah, that's a nice revelation. I cer- I certainly back the uh yeah, I like the I like the optimizing for excitement slash adventure thing. And actually I think subconsciously or semi-consciously I've sort of used that as a heuristic um multiple times. Uh particularly when deciding to go on uh low social optionality hol- holidays or trips with people when otherwise it would seem like whoa this is this is a lot of money and all this kind of stuff um and you know like spending time abroad and, and that kind of thing so I, I certainly back that yeah I, I especially back the living abroad though i i personally think that uh living abroad in the u.s will be significantly less interesting than living abroad in a uh less western english-speaking country yeah true i mean like uh, there is some element of the u.s having various other advantages namely the fact that they speak english and that uh being a doctor in the u.s is generally you know pretty good but anyway jake have you got any any insights that you've been thinking you're thinking about this week just any- no i've just been thinking about your career plans actually and they <laughs> challenge my own in the sense that I quite like having a a set predefined path but at some point I think what I've always wanted is to do things that will enhance my future sort of like life portfolio live CV so if I do this then it will look good on an application for this and then that will look good on an application for this and I just think at some point I'll probably actually need to do something because I actually want to rather than because it furthers my chances of doing the next thing and because listening to your thing I think hey you know at some point you're gonna have to like settle down and you know are you just delaying doing that but similarly if you're actually enjoying these things then that's an end in itself that's like an outcome that i wouldn't normally actually think of as an outcome because it's not sort of quantifiable so i could probably learn from your complete gung-ho approach to just doing things i think the whole excitement thing is a bit of a weird one because some things that are exciting are you know like tonight i will either go to bed at a reasonable time or i could just like go on an absolute mad (laughs) bender on my own and like that is you know that it would be more exciting by most sort of metrics but it would also just be like an abjectly terrible idea so sometimes things are exciting and i've seen you know i don't know how many of your indiscretions are public knowledge so i'll try and be a, try and be vague but <laughs> crashing things into buildings getting arrested things like that are, are all like exciting but every so often you can do something that's exciting with fairly adverse consequences so i wouldn't always seek excitement oh interesting so uh, it, it it almost sounds like perhaps sort of exciting in the moment isn't the right heuristic then perhaps it's something like you know in tw- 25 years when i look back on my on my life yeah will i be uh, like w- which of these would make the better story yeah exactly and i agree with that because you know i could either just crack on straight through training in a linear fashion and get it done and be a consultant or i could take a bit of time out travel see some new things go live abroad and then if you look back in 25 years time will i think gosh i wish i'd, I'd wish i'd been a consultant for 26 years currently rather than for 25 or I think it was invaluable to have done that extra bit of traveling say all that and completely disregard my own advice and (laughs) and probably just going to crack on with it but I do I do agree with that more because it's very easy to get sort of really narrow-minded in the present but yeah looking back I don't think people regret travel or sort of time spent doing things they enjoy when they're young and healthy particularly when you get to an older age you don't really hear many people say like oh I wish I'd saved up a bit more so that I last longer in my care home or something (laughs) you know that kind of stuff so yeah I would be more inclined to agree with that than the uh than the analogy that means i should probably go out and fez tonight <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, what, All right. uh, on that topic, I'd just like to throw a final heuristic into the ring, which is uh, something we talked about a few episodes ago around expanding the box that uh, basically the box of uh, life scripts that we've been exposed to. Uh, and I think, you know, optimizing for excitement, obviously, uh, we would result in Jake <laughs> going on a mad one tonight, which wouldn't be good for him. I think optimizing for storytelling, it feels a bit brittle. It feels a bit shallow as a heuristic. I think optimizing for exposing yourself to uh, exposing yourself to different sort of ways of living uh, that I think that I felt I've certainly found that useful and I think that's what so you're saying that so you're saying that if I go on a mad one tonight <laughs> that me to a different way of living yeah well Jake's already been exposed to that that's well within his box of possibility his life script well, it's, it's completely off the beaten path for me so <laughs> exactly I guess I'll be having a mad one cool all right I think that ends this episode uh Jake thanks a lot for chatting to us this has been uh, very interesting uh as we said at the start we now have a Twitter account so follow us at n overthinking overthinking uh on Twitter and we'll be posting updates there thanks for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye all right cool how do we think that went <laughs> <laughs> it's all right <laughs> funny enough do, do you think we painted you in a bad light jake yeah because you were hesitant right you were like oh you know i don't want to be the i don't think so i think you know whenever you guys are a lot more used to putting yourself in the public sphere than most other people are particularly ali i doubt i've said anything that's incompatible with <laughs> with my life with or career, career. <laughs> yeah. but you know when you put yourself out there people will pick up on certain things and agree or disagree what's your normal audience uh it's it's hard to say really like i was looking at the stats um it seems like about 20 percent of listeners are in the uk um like 10 percent usa i thought like seven or eight percent germany uh, what, overall numbers? Like, like literally all over the world um each episode gets about fifteen thousand downloads <laughs> that's funny ish yeah yeah i mean i don't know i trust molly as an arbiter of whether i completely put my foot in it i don't think so particularly <laughs> no i think that was fine yeah, I think, and yeah i think that was pretty res- respectable uh for everyone uh, h- how do you feel about the fact that th- this discussion is going to be heard by fifteen thousand random people around the world is it just like feeling like it whatever don't care yeah that's fine nice that's all right it's not a problem yeah i think that's good actually to have because i feel like a lot of people in your position would feel more stage fright at being on something like this i have no stage fright about you know you know tons of people listen to it and disagree or think it's a load of nonsense or whatever but i think with the whole medicine thing there's always the the gnawing the remote possibility that oh that someone perhaps will, someone and will it's take just more, you know that it's more hassle than it's worth essentially but okay. but i think that's not specific to this i would think that about doing almost anything in the public domain so it's not not because of your questioning <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm glad all right it's good sesh lads cool good stuff ali i'll send you the file <laughs> Let's go, 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 let's go